You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation Podcast, episode 92. the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Our guest on today's show is science filmmaker Nate Dappen. Like many of the folks that we choose to profile on this show, Nate has a background in both science and art. He worked as a photographer while getting his PhD in evolutionary biology. As he was nearing the end of his graduate program, him and fellow graduate student Neil Lawson became interested in science filmmaking. They produced their first few films together after graduating and never looked back. I met Nate at this year's International Wildlife Film Festival, where he had won an award for his new film, Islands of Creation. I'm really excited about what Nate and his colleagues at Days Ed Productions are doing in the world of science and conservation filmmaking. And it's an honor to have Nate here on the show with us today. So let's jump in. My name is Nate Dappen, and um, I, I started my career in science. Um, I studied evolutionary biology and, you know, got all the way through a PhD uh, before realizing uh, that, that I, I enjoyed making films quite a bit as well. And back in 2012, sort of right as I was finishing my graduate degree, I, I transitioned into working on science films uh, with, with a good friend and now my business partner, Neil Lawson. And I've been doing that now for almost five years. You've produced numerous award-winning films, you know, since that time when you said you sort of transitioned into becoming more of a filmmaker. And you've also spent quite a bit of time uh, in front of the camera um, as a host or a presenter. What do you think you're most well-known for at this point? I mean, what, what films of yours might some of our listeners have maybe seen... I would say we're most well-known now for producing films and not being on camera. We do occasionally appear on camera as sort of talking heads or, uh, you know, some sort of host for, for our programs. But I would say, you know, like last year we produced around 30 films and we were in one of them. Um, so I would say the most likely place that people have seen our films are on television or on the web. We produce a real wide range of films from television to web advocacy to classroom science films. So honestly, our most viewed films are probably our classroom films because they just have massive distribution. So if you've taken an AP biology course, you know, you may have seen one of our films about the evolution of, of corn. Um, you know, in the television world, we just had an hour um, that's that's won a couple of awards about speciation, um, the the origin of species, basically how new species are born uh, on the Smithsonian Channel. And then if you're online and maybe you like World Wildlife Fund or other conservation organizations, we produce a ton of short content for for uh, conservation organizations, kind of like that. So you'll see, you know, we have a lot of short advocacy films about a variety of conservation issues happening all over the world. I particularly love chatting with with other folks who who share this background in both biology um, and, and also filmmaking. You know, this is something that that I share myself. I mean, I don't have an advanced degree in in, in either biology or filmmaking, but 
you know, I, I took sort of a similar path where I started off working as a biologist and then sort of discovered filmmaking and sort of transitioned into becoming more of a filmmaker than a biologist. For you, where did each of these interests first come from and, and how did you sort of uh, come to this decision or this realization that you could bring them together? Well, my interest in the outdoors started very young. I was lucky enough to have two parents who uh, really made it possible for me to spend a lot of time outside. Um, so that, that was sort of a big part, I think, of, of deciding to go into biology. And then my dad was a, a doctor, and I always grew up really admiring him. And uh, so for the, for, for, the, for the larger part of my youth, I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. And when I went to, to school, I studied biology um, and I was pre-med, but I also was always into drawing and, and art, artwork. Um, and so I also majored in art and I had a focus in photography. Um, so that was at the University of Colorado. So I was, you know, doing the science stuff and then also, you know, doing pretty serious art stuff, mostly fine artwork. And then when I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. Um, I, you know, I thought still maybe I wanted to be a doctor, but I'd had a couple of really formative biology experiences in, in my undergrad career. So I, I moved out of the country for a couple of years and did a lot of photography and did a lot of work with some biologists and then came back and decided I'd wanted to go to grad school for biology. Um, and while I was in grad school, due to my circumstances, I, I had to work extra jobs to make money through grad school. And I did that through photography. So I was shooting weddings and magazine articles and socialite events and one-year-old's birthdays and basically any event I could get. And it, you know, I think it, it developed my fine arts photography into more of a, an event photography kind of thing. And then in graduate school, um, I met I met my business partner now, Neil Lowson, on um, an out, uh, a biology field course run by the Organization for Tropical Studies. And on that course. I started taking photos of wildlife and it was a lot of fun. And I started realizing that, you know, this was something that I actually really cared about. I cared that people uh, who weren't scientists didn't understand the scientific process. And um, I really wanted people to get excited about the natural world. The more I think about it, I actually think that my transition into becoming a filmmaker had more to do with technological changes than it had to do with anything else. Right around the time I started becoming interested in outreach was right when digital SLRs all of a sudden could shoot high-quality HD video. And so here was a tool that I already knew how to use that all of a sudden could produce professional-quality video. So it was just a natural transition for us. And I, I don't think I would have ever done it if, if that hadn't happened. Um, so for fun, we made a little video. And that video won a little film festival, um, which was, you know, it was a terrible, crummy little video, but it was exciting for us to win. And it motivated us to make another one. We made another one and that won a film festival. And after about six or seven films that had won these little crummy film festivals, you know, these, these aren't big festivals, but little ones, we, we, we sort of thought, hey, maybe this is something we could do. And so um, Neil and I said, hey, you want to you want to do this together and and sort of our last year of graduate school, we, we decided together to not pursue traditional postdocs. And we spent that next year doing everything we could to, to sort of uh, prepare ourselves for that, for that world professionally. We wrote a lot of grants and, and uh, worked on a lot of free projects and refined our skills, learned a lot about the technology. And then when we graduated, just jumped off into the deep end and started doing it full time. It turns out that, it's not easy, but it's also not rocket science. I think if you're committed and you, you want to tell a good story and um, you enjoy it, I think that pretty much anybody could do it. 
I wonder, do you miss sort of the, the, the hard science component of what you were used to be involved in when you were working on your PhD? Yeah, absolutely. I miss that science. And I think I could have been very happy doing that. But what I will say is, it's not like I don't get a lot of science in my life. I think one of the one of the incredible privileges of science filmmakers and of filmmakers in general is that you have very privileged access to all these amazing people doing just ridiculous, amazing science or really inspirational, um, you know, conservation or human rights or environmental justice kind of work. So I'm constantly inspired and I'm still connected to the science community, um, maybe even more so now that I'm on the other side. Um, but I do miss it. And I think, you know, I'd be happy. I, I would have been happy in that world. But then again, I, I still get quite a bit of science in my life. And if you're telling a story about science, you know, maybe you're not doing the research, but you still have to know the material pretty intimately to tell the story accurately. As you know, sort of a, a science communicator, it sort of forces you to pay attention to a wider scope of the scientific research that's going on out there than you would if you were sort of focused on your own research. I think when you're, when you're in the research, you know, uh, the popular media portrays scientists as jacks of all trades, but that could not be further from the truth. When you're a scientist doing work, you're studying the most esoteric, tiny thing in your field, and you're you know it so well, but you don't have a broad scope for the most part, and that's not really what you're investigating. So the nice thing about about filmmaking is that you can't you can't tell stories in that way because people won't care. Um, and so if you're telling a cool science story, you've got to sort of negotiate what information you want to tell people and what, what what's okay not to leave in there. But it's your responsibility to really know everything about it before you before you make those kinds of decisions and so that's that's really fun and like i said it's not rocket science i don't think it's it's you know it's technically difficult it, it's just really hard though it's you need to put a lot of work in and a lot of time and and I, and I really enjoy that a lot your film snows of the nile was a big success this is the film that introduced me to your work as a filmmaker the story that you tell in, in, in this film, Snows in the Nile, I mean, it's, it's your story, your story, and, and Neil's story. I mean, you guys are sort of the central characters that take us through uh, of this adventure that you portray. What was it like to turn the camera on yourselves and sort of share this personal story? As I said earlier, Neil and I were trying to find all sorts of ways to fund our films. And so we were applying to a lot of grants. And, um, you know, we wanted to tell a climate change story that hadn't been told before. So people are always talking about, you know, you know, the, the, the glaciers on the poles melting. And, and we wanted to tell a story that, that really wasn't that common, which is about tropical glaciers. People, a lot of people don't know that there are tropical, that there are glaciers in tropical Africa. And so um, I knew we knew about these these mountains because my my dad, I, I grew up in Kenya. I spent my childhood there. And my dad, who, who was an adventure doctor during that time climbed the mountains with um, Patagonia owner Yvonne Chouinard and so I have all these cool photos from him doing that and I've heard all these stories about the Ruinzoi Mountains so that was sort of a, a no-brainer in terms of the story and then this one this one weekend I was in Denver um, visiting Neil and Neil said hey there's this competition run by Dos Equis the beer company through their most interesting campaign you know the, the most interesting man in the world that whole campaign um, you have to submit a video proposing an idea and then people vote on it and you can win so we made this video proposing to go climb climb these mountains and drink a Dos Equis at the top of it and tell this climate change story and and we won um, 
And <laughs> it was a pretty wild experience um, to all of a sudden, you know, win this competition. They threw a huge party for us in New York and the most interesting man in the world gave us the award. And it was very exciting and cool. Um, and, and sort of from the beginning, we wanted to make ourselves the characters, particularly um, because of, of the personal angle of my dad having climbed this. It was really cool for me to be able to go back and sort of do the same trip. Um, but so turning the camera on, you know, it's, it's hard to turn the camera on yourself. Uh, it's, it's hard to be normal and act like yourself. <laughs> it's, it takes a lot of practice. I really admire people who do it well. Um, but I, I think the biggest challenge making that film and making a lot of the films we make is that just Neil and I, from the beginning, from the, you know, the beginning of our career, it was just us. So you'll never see us in snows on the Nile, like together. It's always me filming him or him filming me. Um, and, and, and so it was a challenge to climb these mountains. And, you know, we summited five peaks, you know, all over, all over 15,000 feet. Some of them were 17,000 feet. Um, and, and, you know, the whole time trying to capture enough footage to tell, to tell this story. But the film turned out really well, especially since it was our first real film uh, that we actually had a budget for. And um, we were really pleased with how it turned out. And, and it was, you know, obviously meaningful. Uh, personally, for me, it was cool to be able to show my dad it and have him be a character in it. Um, so, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. And I think launched our career in many ways. I also want to talk about um, one of your more recent films, which you mentioned uh, uh, towards the beginning, um, this film, Islands of Creation, um, because this film delves into uh, some, some deep questions about evolution, um, which is a topic that, that you studied as, um, as a PhD student, uh, uh, you know, from this scientific perspective. So I, I wonder what it was like sort of returning to some of these ideas as a filmmaker. Well, I will start by saying that there are no stories that I find more compelling than stories about evolution and biology. So this was sort of a dream come true to have the opportunity to work on, on, on an issue that I thought uh, was, was super exciting and super interesting. And on top of all that, the sort of icing on the cake was that we got the opportunity to tell one of the coolest stories in evolution, which is about speciation in one of the most remote, remarkable places in the world, the Solomon Islands, which is in the South Pacific with a researcher who is not only doing amazing science, but is also just an incredibly inspirational, wonderful person. Um, so it was just lots of layers of, 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 of um, great things to be working on with this project. Um, that project came from a National Science Foundation grant that we wrote when we were still graduate students. We were trying to figure out how to get money to work on these big, meaningful projects uh, about science and how to communicate those 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 um, those, those sort of topics, and um, we didn't think we were going to get this grant, but we did get a grant. It was a grant run through NSF, the National Science Foundation, called um, the CRPA program, which is the Communicating Research to Public Audiences grant, and it gives filmmakers up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to work on a film for already NSF-funded research. So we submitted this grant and we got it, and we basically spent a little over two years. Uh, traveling to the Solomon Islands, traveling all over the United States to tell this story um, about the research of a guy named Albert Uwe, who's at the University of Miami, and how he's discovering how new species are being created in the Solomon Islands. What sort of like aspects of the evolutionary research like you were involved with when you were in your PhD, and like did you see like some echoes of that like while you were working on this film? So I studied lizards, um, and um, I studied lizards for my PhD. I studied. Um, the evolution of the sexes, so how males and females co-evolve, um, and color evolution. Um, so I studied a species in the Mediterranean called the Ibiza wall lizard. 
And um, so, you know, behavioral ecology research is is all pretty pretty different, but also has a lot of par- parallel threads. And so there's a handful of behavioral ma- manipulation experiments that I did that Al, um, Al Uy, the researcher, was also doing. So, it, you know, yeah, super cool, super cool to be out there um, with scientists in the field working. And we were actually able to get our hands dirty doing some of the work ourselves, not just filming it, um, just because of the, the nature of the filmmaking we were doing. We sort of were trying to film him as he was doing research. Um, and when you're doing that in a place like the Solomon Islands, you're spending five weeks out there, you know, you can't just film all the time. And he, he needed our help for, for a handful of things. So it was, it was really cool getting to spend that time together. And I don't think, you know, his research was very different. I wasn't studying speciation. I was studying color evolution. Um, but there are lots of parallel threads between his research and the research that I did and the research that Neil did um, as, a, as a, PhD student, a PhD student as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Um, yeah, my research was pretty different from his, but I think the parallel is that evolution, the study of evolution tries to understand from a historical perspective how life on Earth is the way that it is. I was studying how males and females co-evolve um, and how, how color evolves in animals. Al is studying how one species becomes two species and the mechanisms behind how that happens. And so I think from that historical perspective, there's a lot of parallels um, but, but from, from a, you know, a specific perspective, he was studying a very different topic than I was. You bring up a, another interesting point there, which is the fact that you and Neil were actually able to, uh, uh, you know, assist with some of that field research. I mean, like you said, when you're out there traveling, I mean, you're not shooting every single second and, and obviously you want to be able to sort of capture some of this research work as it's happening, but clearly there was also sort of time for you guys to you know, directly help out and, and participate in that work as well. Um, I mean, do you think you guys could have made this film if you didn't have this sort of hard science background? Yeah, I do think, I do think somebody who has the hard science background can make films. I think, um, I think often people with science training give themselves too much credit. Um, you know, I think anybody who's interested, you know, like, like, like this isn't, this isn't hard stuff to understand. I think if you, if you put a lot of time into understanding what somebody is studying, you can figure out what it is that they're studying. Certainly Al would not have let anybody else come on that trip. Um, he told us right from the start, you know, he, he knew that we weren't going to get in his way. He had work that had to get done and he didn't want anybody to come there that was going to make him do something 20 times. So they got the shot right. Um, he, he had things that had to get done. And so he knew that we understood that. Um, and as, you know, because Neil and I were both field biologists, I think that we were sensitive to those kinds of issues. And, and because we were scientists, Al also knew that we were going to try to get the story right. I think frequently scientists are worried that not just filmmakers, but journalists in general um, are, are going to misrepresent their work. And Al didn't want that to happen. And I, I think that we did a really good job um, telling, telling the story, um, at least getting the science right. Um, and that, that was important to him. So in this specific case, I think that it was important that we were scientists because of our relationship with Al. But in general, I would not dissuade anybody who doesn't have you know, official scientific training to not make science films. Science films are just like any other stories. Um, you've got to do a lot of research <laughs> to, to make sure you know what's going on there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think having a science background gives some of our clients a little bit, um, it makes them feel like we're going to get the story right, but whether it actually does, I, I'm not so sure. <laughs> 
No, I mean, that, that's a really good point, right? Is that, you know, it, it, it provides access because, you know, if you have, Absolutely. if you share that scientific background with, you know, your subject, the, the, the folks who you are following in the film and whose story you're telling, then it makes them feel more comfortable, um, both that you're not going to get in the way, um, but also that you're going to, like you said, sort of convey the story of their research in an accurate way. Um, but at the same time, there is a, a negative side to that science background potentially as well, right? Which is, which you sort of alluded to, which is that, I mean, it, it can be really difficult as a scientist to sort of take a step back and look at that bigger picture and understand what, um, I, I guess, a more general audience, like what information they need in order to understand complicated scientific research that's being conducted, right? Yeah, and I think that this this is a problem that is not just a problem of science. It's a problem of any kind of expertise at all. I think once you once you study and once you are, are become an expert in any topic in any field, it becomes very difficult to know what people should know and what they do know. Um, and so it's easy to assume things. And I think one of the problems um, that we're still working really hard to remove ourselves from is exactly that point is how much information, how do you tell a good science story without going into too much nitty gritty that you lose people? Um, that, and that, that is a challenge coming from a science background. And, 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 you know, I've had this conversation many times with people about whether the, the science background is actually a disadvantage because I think scientists, you know, if, if you want to make a generalization, scientists I think are one of the worst groups of storytellers out there. But that's not, I think, because they're intrinsically bad storytellers. I don't think there's anything about being a scientist that makes you a bad storyteller. I think that it's a career that doesn't reward you for telling stories. And so if you don't ever get any practice, telling stories is super hard work and you need a lot of practice to do it. Um, And we are getting better every year at doing it. And I think that we will throughout our entire lives. Um, And so if you're in a career that doesn't reward that, then you're not going to do it well, which is exactly why scientists aren't good storytellers. You know, at Day's Edge, Neil and I provide training to scientists precisely on that, which is about storytelling, because there aren't that many places that do that. Um, Yet it's incredibly valuable and I think super important for communicating to public audiences about why some of this sort of bizarre research is actually important. So... What projects are you working on right now? What what is driving you know your passion for this work uh, in this current moment? Well, so we always have lots of projects happening, um, and and I think right now we have something like twelve films or twelve films in production. But the, the film that I'm most excited about, I should say, the films that I'm most excited about um, are are a series of films we're working on about lizards. Um, near and dear to my heart as somebody who studied lizards Neil also studied lizards we've been trying to get this project about Anolis lizards which is a group of about 400 new world lizards that exist in the Caribbean and the new world tropics Um, we've been trying to get this project off the ground since 2011 Um, the same grant that we submitted to get the Islands of Creation money, we submitted a similar one to work on the project that we're working on now, but they didn't fund it. And we've submitted multiple grants in the last four years to try to get this project off the ground. And finally, uh, we have a grant with Harvard um, to work on this big project about Anolis lizards. Um, so Anolis lizards, for people who, who don't know what they are, they're these little uh, lizards. Um, and what characterizes them, they, they live in you know Florida, uh, the Carolinas, 
all throughout the Caribbean in the New World tropics, you know, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, all the way down to Ecuador and Colombia, Brazil. Uh, they're these little lizards. There's about 400 species of them. And they all have these dewlaps, this, this flap of skin on their throats that they use to display. And um, more than any other organism on the planet, research on anoles has shaped our understanding of every field of biology from physiology to behavior to ecology to evolution, genetics, physiology. There's been decades worth of research on this group of lizards that has transformed our understanding of life on the planet. Um, and so we're working on a series of seven like high quality blue chip classroom um, episodes about, about anoles lizards and then an hour long tele- television um, show about about these lizards so it'll be pretty hardcore science mixed with some awesome natural history and we've been traveling all throughout the caribbean over the last year um filming filming these lizards we have a couple more shoots before we're done um but you know we've filmed species that have never been filmed before um behaviors that have been you know never been captured on film it's just and hanging out with dozens of of lizard biologists which for us is always really fun from your personal perspective, what have been the most important lessons that you've learned that you would want to convey to folks who are interested in, in breaking into this or, uh, uh, you know, related field? From a career perspective, um, I think, and I don't want, I don't want to pretend like I have any idea whether what worked for us will work for other people. Um, but, but I guess one thing that I, that I saw in our background and that I've seen in other people's background, two pieces of advice that I think have made a huge difference in our career. The first one is finding a partner to work with, um, somebody who you can trust, not doing it on your own. There are so many risks I would have never taken alone if I didn't have my business partner, Neil, who was taking the plunge with me. Um, so many things, skills that I didn't have that he had and vice versa that allowed us to, as sort of a unit, tackle things that we could have never done. Um, you know, so many times when he held me accountable for work that I didn't want to do, but did it because I knew he was relying on me. Um, I, I can't overstate the importance of, of finding somebody out there um, to work with who you trust and who you share a vision with. So that that's one piece of advice. Um, and I don't know how often it is that people, you know, find those people. Um, but but if, if you can find someone like that, that's I think that's been critical to, to our success is ha- you know having each other um, to sort of run the gauntlet of this of this field. The, the other piece of advice is just especially if you're starting off, you're going to have to do a lot of work for free. You've got to get out there and you got to get your hands dirty. I think all of our clients, all of them, all of our major clients now are people we worked for for free for for years or or for almost nothing. Just you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into projects for them um, that, you know, we were just trying to get in their good graces, and now we are, and now they're our clients, and, and they pay us reasonable amounts. Um, and, and so I think putting in that time is is, is really important, and not thinking, um, you know, Neil and I get emails from, from people about doing internships with us um, pretty frequently, and, 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 and we, have, we have a lot of interns. Uh, we've, had, we've had a lot of interns. Uh, and every so often we get an email from somebody who, who thinks that they can just sort of jump in right after they're done with school or something. And I, and I, I just don't think that that's the way it works. I think you need a ton of experience to do this well. Um, and I think in order to establish, even if, even if you're already really good, I think that in order to establish that trust, 
you've got to put in a lot of free time. Um, even if it's not free, maybe it's just working for almost nothing or, you know, whatever it is. This, this, this career is all about relationships and it's about trust and it's about working with people that you like. And so I think establishing those relationships early on uh, takes a lot of work, but it's critical um, for, for, for your success. So that, those are my two pieces of advice for, you know, career. And, and those are not, in my opinion, anything novel. It's not like that's, that's something that lots of people have, haven't, haven't already said. But those are two things that I think that were you know, really important in, in our success. Uh, in terms of storytelling, um, I, I find the most compelling things that I watch to be honest stories, not contrived. Stories about people that are honest and sensitive and vulnerable and you know, communication stories often have those. It's, 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 uh, it's about people who are, uh, you know, it's, it's about people who, you know, even when it comes to environmental justice, it's about people who are, who are, who are struggling with some sort of problem in their lives. Uh, when it comes to doing research in remote places, it's about sort of suffering through the uncomfortableness of doing the research or the, the psychological challenges of trying to come up with new knowledge. Um, and, and we are not good at this at all, you know, by any, by any big standard, but I think trying to tell honest, vulnerable stories about whatever topic is the way to go forward. Um, and, and, um, that's what I, I, I want to most work on, um, is getting good at telling these stories and figuring out the aspects of our characters that allow us to bring people into their worlds. You know, nowadays people are such savvy media consumers they can smell contrived storylines from a mile away, um, or at least at least the audiences who are watching our shows. Um, so, so you know, if you're not going to do that well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to survive in this world uh, doing doing science communication. So, yeah, trying to tell honest stories where characters are actually being themselves, um, I think, is is the advice I'd give. I think it's really important to to tell those stories in a way that's honest to yourself find what really interests you most um and like that's the aspect of it that you should be telling i mean if you're not passionate about the story you're telling then that is going to be communicated that lack of passion is going to show through to the audience so one more piece of advice for anybody who's out there is to go to conferences and festivals I would say almost all of my professional relationships were created at places like the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, the Jackson Hole Science Media Wars, which is happening in Boston in a couple of weeks, International Wildlife Film Festival, you know, New York Wildlife Film Festival, all these festivals, DC Environmental Festival. Again, it's all these different conferences where you meet people um, and, and meet your peers and meet your coworkers. And so I, that, that would be my other piece of advice. That, that is the, those are the places where you're going to meet, meet people produce some films, tell some stories, submit them to these festivals, but then go to the festivals regardless of whether or not your film gets in because you're going to make connections and those connections are the most important thing you're going to get out of those festivals. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another really good point. Thanks for coming on onto on the show and, and, and sharing your interesting perspective with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, really, I really appreciate it. I hope anybody who's listening who's considering this career goes into it full, full blast. It's a really fun, awesome career. All right, that was our conversation with Nate Dappen from Day's Edge Productions. As a fellow filmmaker with a somewhat similar background, minus the advanced science degree, 
I find it fascinating to hear what type of advice Nate offers to novices in the field of science filmmaking. I was struck by how similar this advice is to the advice that we regularly share on our program and and with the interns that we work with at Wildlands. The world of filmmaking can be very cutthroat. Filmmakers are often very anxious to share what they feel to be secrets to their own success. And I'm really happy that, on the whole, the world of wildlife and conservation filmmaking seems to be quite different. Folks like Nate are generally very open to sharing advice and are encouraging uh, to other folks who might be interested in coming into this field. I like to think that we are conservationists and science communicators first and filmmakers second. And I know that here at Wildlands, we strive to never lose sight of the conservation or advocacy goal at the heart of a particular issue. So that maybe is what sets us aside from other folks working in the world of filmmaking. So if you want to hear more about Nate's work with Day's Edge Productions and check out some of the films that he's worked on, you can head on over to the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC92. That's W-I-L-D-L-E-N-S-I-N-C dot org slash EOC92. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, and you can also take a moment to leave us an honest rating and review. This really helps us reach more people with these stories and advice about wildlife and conservation issues. Just search for Eyes on Conservation in the iTunes store. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. The Humidors.